you know, this was a lot learned from my own soul searching. I mean, I, I talked before that I was responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. I didn't say I was happy with any of them. And that's a real key point. I remember winning the, this award in Melbourne, actually, called The Young Achiever. And I remember going home in my, you know, I lived at Eureka Tower and I had this amazing apartment. And I remember going home, looking out the window and I was miserable. And I was like, I spent my entire life doing the get money thing because I was, a lot of it was about convincing people that I was worth something. Cause I mean, I grew up with a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school. I was horribly introverted. Everybody told me I wasn't gonna amount to much. So all of a sudden I stumbled across sales and stumbled into my own businesses. And it was like, all right, now's my chance to prove to everybody. G'day folks, welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Dean, and my feature guest this week is Matthew Pollard. He is a fellow Aussie. He is living in the States. He is known as the Rapid Growth Guy. He's got a lot going on, this man. He has got online training. He's got a coaching program. He's written a book for introverts. Uh, And one of the big things that he talks about is differentiating and how you can position yourself as someone who has a unique offering. He comes from a bricks and mortar business that uh, he built five multi-million dollar businesses here in Australia, bricks and mortar businesses through direct sales and telemarketing. There is lots to learn here. And even if you are an introvert and you hate the idea of selling, there is tons of gold in here. And it's all about having a unique way of communicating what it is you do to the market. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Get your notepads and pens ready. And without further ado, let's go and meet Matthew Pollard. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Just before we get into this episode of the podcast, I have a quick favour to ask. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on iTunes at wpelevation.com slash iTunes. Or if you're not an Apple user, you can get us on Stitcher Radio at wpelevation.com slash Stitcher. And please, if you are on iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. It really does help us come up in the search results and get the show in front of a wider audience. And we love your feedback and we read all of the reviews. Thanks in advance. Now let's get back to the show. G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation and welcome to another episode of the podcast and I'm very pleased to have with me all the way from the United States of America, a fellow Aussie, Matthew Pollard. G'day mate, how are you? G'day buddy. I thought you were going to introduce me all the way from the United States and surprise everybody with the accent, <laughs> but uh, you gave it away. It's not, it's not very often I get to say g'day to, an, to a guest on the podcast and they say g'day back. <laughs> you know, I think though, as a, an Australian in America, it's kind of something unique about us. Like I talk about differentiation all the time. It's a good start, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, when I had, uh, not to drop a name, but when I had Andrew Warner on the uh, podcast, uh, he was on the podcast and I said, g'day folks, blah, blah, blah. Troy, and I said, and I have uh, with me all the way from the States, uh, Andrew Warner, host of Mixergy. And he, I said, hey, Andrew, how are you? And he said, g'day, mate, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I like Andrew. I've, I've been on his podcast and he's a character, mate. He, he, he He's very direct and he's got a really great attitude for podcast. I think he's one of those people that he would have done well even back in the old radio era. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's awesome. Hey, um, for those that don't know, who are you and what are you doing? What are you doing here? (laughs) Uh, Here in America or here, period, on the podcast? Well, you're here on the podcast. (laughs) How about I answer both? So I'm known as the rapid growth guy. Primarily, I work with service providers, helping them obtain rapid growth in their business. 
And predominantly what I do is help people understand that have got really strong functional skills, get out of their functional skill and realize that the reason why they've got customers that sing their praises and pay them what they're worth is because they do things that they take for granted for those clients that they don't articulate well when they're trying to get new clients, which is why a lot of their clients come from repeat business or referral and help them articulate that in a way like the rapid growth guy in a way that doesn't commoditize themselves, but allows them to get people to go, oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of that before. What exactly is that? And then understand the power of niching and then creating a sales system. I mean, I find that most businesses fail, not because they're not great at what they do, because it's because they don't know those three concepts or unconsciously avoid them because it, that wasn't what they learned in school, right? So it's what they avoid. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I coach on. That's what my academy's about. And, you know, I speak on stage a lot. Uh, you, we were talking about my event schedule uh, in America, and it's it's pretty intense. And, you know, while I work, my passion is working with small business and helping them understand those things. My book's sort of taken off here. It's done, you know, tw- I think 21, 22,000 copies since I launched it in January. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of those people are corporate market people that, you know, I talk about the introverts edge is the book and it talks about how introverts actually make better salespeople than extroverts. If they just get over the fact that everybody's telling them they can't do it. And the key element of that is what I call value articulated story, which introverts are really great at. And so I do a lot of speaking at different events, inspiring introverts, inspiring small businesses and inspiring corporations to think differently about their sales and stop filling them with jargon, if you like. Yeah, awesome. Um, I want to. There's a lot to unpack here, and I want to unpack as much as I can in the time that we have together, purely selfishly, because I want to see what I can learn from you, and hopefully give some value to the audience at the same time. Um, but before we get there, you're an Aussie. You're in the states. What took you to the states, and how long have you been there? So I was. So I best known in Australia. For, I built five multi million dollar businesses from the ground up, and Australia is a great economy. Don't get me wrong, but it's twenty odd million people, and mm. every business that I built there. I kind of did it the same way, and it was, you know, bricks and mortar stores, tally marketing, direct sales. That's all I knew. In 2013, I made this decision that I was going to open up somewhere else. So I did what a lot of Australians do, take a really long holiday, and I spent the year traveling the world. So I spent three months in South America, three months in the US, and three months in Europe. And the goal was to go to Asia after that and spend three months in Asia. And I was contemplating when I, you know, when I, you know, I might open up in Brazil. It's a great evolving economy, and that might make sense. But every story ends with a girl, right? So I met a girl <laughs> in Austin, Texas, and when I finished in Europe, I didn't finish and go to Asia. I cut the Europe trip short and said, you know what, I'm going to go back to America and see what see what happens. And it just, you know, we were a match made in heaven. We got married actually only a couple of months ago. And wow. congratulations, man. Thank you very much, man. And, you know, I, I did the, I went out and got my green card first before I proposed. So I wasn't the butt of a lot of those jokes. But uh, <laughs> the focus for me was that was why I ended up in America. And then the funny thing was I always decided I was going to set up elsewhere. And in my head, I always envisaged that was going to be retail stores, tally marketing, direct sales. That's what I knew just to 320 odd million people. Mm. And then I went, well, hang on a second. What if I want to go home all the time? Or what if I, you know, need to go home for some reason, like, you know, maybe somebody in the family is sick or, you know, Mm. something happens. So I went, I got to really think this through. Maybe I need something that's a little bit more dynamic that I can pick up and run, you know, do from anywhere. Mm. And I think that's, you know, everybody talks about, you know, the, the, the tech backpacker or, you know, the traveling entrepreneur. And for me, it became, well, 
I don't want to be one of those people that makes $20,000 and lives in Thailand. That's not me. Yeah. But I need to create something that is, is truly mobile. And for me, so I made the decision to do online business. The funny thing was I didn't even know how to change the word that to the word they and, or on a website. And I have to say I was embarrassed to say this now, I guess, but I was one of those people that I'd have a digital marketer come and speak to me about how I can grow my business. And I'd be like, you're just too scared to go out and sell to people. And that was literally my mind. And in truth, a lot of digital marketers are worried yeah. about speaking to people. And 100%. a lot of them need convincing that they have to get on the phone, right? Mm. And eventually you've got to sell to someone. But for me, I was convinced that that stuff was a waste of time. And God, I would have made so much more money if I knew that, what I knew now, then. But, you know, I built my brand online and, you know, seven months after launching online, I was, you know, I was listed by Evan Carmichael as one of the most retweeted business coaches on Twitter. And, you know, I was an award-winning blogger and I I was earning a great income. And ever since then, my my brand's really taken off. And that's kind of how I I got to America and, and doing what I do now. And you know, I have to say, I absolutely love doing what I do. So that, that I think that helps with the success that I've had because people see passion. And that's yeah. why now I speak a lot about, you know, you've got to work out what you're passionate about because especially for a lot of people that feel uncomfortable or inauthentic commoditizing themselves, mm. a lot of marketers say, here's a niche in the marketplace, bury yourself into that. But that's you bending yourself to the marketplace. It feels uncomfortable. Yeah, and what 100%. I've learned is if you can tap it into your passions and your purpose and articulate it that way, it's like this superpower that just you light up inside. It makes such a difference. Yeah. One of the things we talk about in our programs a lot, where a lot of people get stuck, is is finding a niche or a niche, as I hear that you've adapted the way that you say that to suit the market. <laughs> I'm, learning, I'm learning to pronounce it so that people in America don't go, what? what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people get stuck on on niching because they, I, I think it's FOMO. I think they're, they're kind of afraid of missing out on all the other potential business. But I also hear from a lot of people, they're like, well, I just don't know what I want. I don't know what my passion is. How do you walk someone through the process of discovering their passion if they genuinely have no idea? You know, there's there's an interesting exercise that I I get a lot of people to do. And, you know, this was a lot learned from my own soul searching. I mean, I I talked before I was responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. I didn't say I was happy with any of them. And that's a real key point. I remember winning the this award in Melbourne, actually, called the Young Achiever. And I remember going home in my you – know, I lived at Eureka Tower and I had this amazing apartment. And I remember going home, looking out the window, and I was miserable. Mm. And I was like – I spent my entire life doing the get money thing because – I was a lot of it was about convincing people that I was worth something because I mean I grew up with a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school I was horribly introverted everybody told me I wasn't going to amount to much so all of a sudden I stumbled across sales and stumbled into my own businesses and it was like all right now's my chance to prove to everybody that's the mm-hmm. wrong reason to go about doing it but here's yeah. the truth people tend to inherit their goals from their mother their father their drunk buddies they had in high school, university, that sort of thing. And it, it's the wrong way to do it. We inherit it. We're like, yes, that's what I want. We charge out after it. Mm. And, I mean, that's a horrible thing. And we say we want it, but then why is it we can't muster up the the energy to do it? Or mm. worse, when we get there, we realize it was a waste of our time. And mm. even though we're rich or we got the car that we wanted, it doesn't make us happy. So one of the things that I get people to do is really take a step back and God, switch off your phone, switch off your email, and truly just be with yourself and do this exercise. Because so many times we want everything, we live in this instant gratification society, and we're like, oh, that sounds good, let's do it. Doesn't make sense. Mm. So, what you want to do is, and it's really two steps to this goal. Step one 
is really about getting to step two. It's a means to an end. And what I get people to do is write three business or three career goals. Most often I'm dealing with business owners, so three business goals and three personal goals, one incredibly selfish to themselves. For those people that are life coaches out there and and do things to help the world, this is your permission I'm giving you to be selfish because otherwise you think that your goals are aligned with you, but then you won't muster the energy because you've got to do something for you. Mm. So that's really the first step. And I suggest, you know, use smart criteria because specific, measurable and time-based, great way to get there, get that done. But as I said, it's about getting them on paper and any high achiever can do this. Mm -hmm. The second step a lot of times gets them unstuck, which is summarize each one of those goals in 250 words or less, including why it's important to you. Now, here's the funny thing. I find people write their goals that they've said they wanted their entire life. Sometimes even people that specialize in teaching people goals. And (laughs) then I ask them to summarize why, and two things happen. One is they struggle to articulate why they want it, and they realize, oh, gosh, I've been charging towards a goal that's just unimportant to me my entire life. Or secondly, it's got like 500 to 1,000 words, and inside there, there's escape clauses and multiple goals, and it's just so complex. In short, They don't know what they want. Mm. Now, the reason for doing this is it forces you to really think. And sometimes it's about taking time to yourself in a room with no technology, nobody around, listening to nobody, and really listening to the ether, if you like, about what it is that you truly want. And it does take time. Send yourself on a week-long camping trip if you need to. 100%. And the thing that I find is if you do that, the goal is if you can get those three business goals, three personal goals, write those 250 words or less in wise, here's what happens. All of a sudden, you start writing from a point of passion. And passion is the key to niching because if you just pick a niche – then the reason you pick a niche is it's supposed to make the market easy. But then you're dealing with this fear of missing out of, well, what if it's hard? But if it's for a passion driver, then the pain's worth the gain. Otherwise, either fear gets you or it's not as easy as you thought, and then you start starting hedging your bets again. Mm. Now, that's where people go wrong. So if you write your goals and write the 250 words or less passion statement-wise, then all of a sudden we create this laser focus. Then what you've got to do is look at all of them and make sure there's no barriers in them and conflict in them. Find a buddy, find a friend, and get and run them off them and tell them if any of them – ask them if any of them are conflicting. You know, I mean, there's this thing in neurolinguistic programming that says you, you learn – you were presented with 2 million bits of information every second. Our brain is a supercomputer, but it processes 126. So in short, we delete, distort, and generalize everything we see, feel, hear, and touch based on our beliefs, values, past experiences, and a subset of that is our goals. So while I'd like to think I'm a great coach, if you've got goals putting yourself in six different directions, that's 21 bits in every direction. You're going to miss things. So just getting people laser-focused on what they want, why they want it, and making sure that it's all directional – allows them to see opportunities that are right there in front of them the whole time. And then a lot of the times, especially I do this exercise where I show people this five-step process, which, you know, we can talk about if you like, but I show this five-step process and people get stuck unless they've got that alignment on step three because it forces them to make tough choices. And they'll pick the one that isn't the right one because they don't have that laser focus. So that's why it's so important. And then, of course, there's a, a, a side topic, which is, you know, that people pick the wrong item as well because they're worried they can't make money doing what they're passionate about. Mm. And, you know, I always talk about Jim Carrey's favorite quote, which, you know, his father was a great funny man. Jim Carrey, funny comedian, right? Yeah. His father was funny too, but his father turned out, decided to be an accountant because he wanted to be do the safe choice. And then he, you know, his quote is, I, you know, his father got laid off 
and in, in later high school and, and then what they had to do what they could to survive and Jim Kerry was you know ended up cleaning at his high school which you can imagine he would have got massively picked on for and he said I learned a great deal from my father but nothing more important that you can fail at what you don't want so why not take a chance at what you love yeah, it's great if you don't know what you love how do you do that yeah it's great it's a great quote there's a fantastic video of Jim Kerry giving a speech at a university graduation ceremony. I can't remember what it's called, but look it up on YouTube. It's moving. If you watch that video and you don't cry, there's something wrong with your heart. Uh, it's an incredibly moving uh, speech. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about um, how th- there's there's a couple of things that I want to unpack. One is how you get to a place where I, I work with a lot of people who want the kind of business that they they would look at you and say, I want the kind of business that Matthew's got. He speaks, he coaches, he gets to travel. Um, he's he's a well-known influencer. He's written a book. He's highly regarded. Um, but they're paralyzed by fear. And the the overwhelming feeling that they have is, well, who am I to teach other people? And who's going to take me seriously? And they feel like an imposter. And the imposter syndrome is the thing that kills them. So my question is, <laughs> the $64 million question is, Matthew, if in the next 45 seconds, if you could all help us get unstuck from imposter syndrome, please. <laughs> how do you, okay, and, and, clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you, you said you're an introvert. How do, you, how do you arrive at a place in your head where, where you say, you know what, screw it, I don't care if people think I'm a fraud, I'm going to do this anyway because I know I have some value to add. How, how do you make that decision to just step out, get out of the building and do it anyway? The answer is niching. I mean, it's it's really that simple because if you think that you can compete against people that have got better economies of scale, more testimonials, unbelievable websites, hundreds of videos on social media and all of this authority by saying, hey, I'm a business coach just like everybody else, mm. you're going to feel not only feel like an imposter, people aren't going to take you seriously. Mm. Instead, what you've got to do is really go laser, laser focused. I mean, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you uh, what I'll, I'll explain what I did to get started. And then if we get time, I'll explain an example of somebody that kind of moved into, if you like, a new marketplace where no one should have taken them seriously, but they made it work. But for me, when I first came to the US, I mean, I went, all right, I'm going to be I'm going to be a business coach, sales marketing coach, that sort of thing. Well, now I'm competing. If I'm a sales coach, I'm competing with people like Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy. Mm-hmm. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. If, branding coach, I'm competing with a whole different group of people. And if I'm a business coach, then I'm competing with this whole other group of people. Now, am I an imposter? Well, also, there's a couple of things. Well, firstly, I'm not specifically one of those. I have unique competencies that make me different. So it feels like I'm an imposter to brand myself as a business coach because that's not really what I do. Now, we've all been to networking events where we ask somebody what they do, who's an expert at lots of things, and their answer is, it's complicated. Well, that doesn't go well either because that means you're a master, you're jack of all trades, master of none. Mm. So when I first came, what I did is I said, well, what is it that I do? I bring together marketing and sales. And I started in outbound sales and now I do inbound sales. I'm great at branding and I'm one of the unique people that knows sales and has a lot of chops in sales, but also I built my own businesses. I understand branding. Very few people can bring branding. And I mean, usually salespeople and marketing people hate each other. Mm. And worse and more so, inbound and outbound marketing people don't understand each other. And mm. I bring all those worlds together. What does that do? Well, that catalyzes rapid growth. Okay, so if I call myself 
the rapid growth guy, well, then that's a, what I would call a unified message. It's it fit. It doesn't fit in a box. Therefore, people are intrigued. They want to know more. Now I've done that. Can I launch with that? Still no. I'm a nobody. I haven't got a brand. I've just started. Okay. Well, what small vertical can I start in? What about rapid growth for business coaches? So I launched the Better Business Coach, and I taught business coaches. I and you know this is still an active podcast. It teaches business coaches the templates they need to make to get their first clients and coach them through their first five sessions, how to actually sell to them, how to price them, how to value themselves. Hmm. Well, I launched that. It was new and noteworthy in three continents in 24 hours. For a niche podcast like that, that's exceptional. And then all of a sudden, I had clients. And then I went, well, hang on a second. Let's start to stretch this out now. What about professional service providers? Then service providers. Then introverts. Now I'm speaking to 50% of the, well, more than 50% of the global economy. And I started with this finite point. If I had started with introverts altogether, with I'm a business coach for introverts, they would have been, yeah, you and a bunch of others. It's not Mm. enough. And I would have felt like an imposter. And I couldn't, if somebody had to come to me, because I'm an honest bloke, if somebody had to come to me and said, are you better than this other person that's coaching introverts? I would have said, well, no, they've coached people. I haven't. Mm. But when I was working with business coaches, I knew exactly what to do and nobody else was doing it. So nobody could do rapid growth for business coaches because that's what I focused on. It was my thing. Mm. And that's what made me different. Yeah. Dan Kennedy's got this great saying. He says, you know, the, the quickest way to become the number one at something is to basically invent the category. And I think what he's alluding to there is that, and, and what you're alluding to here is that you've got to have some kind of unique IP, some kind of truly unique value proposition. There's nothing unique about a business coach. There are a dime a dozen, but there is something unique about the rapid growth guy. And the thing, I was just on a, the, um, the, um, uh, on, on um, Dana's podcast, the, she's the, the boss mum podcast. She was also got another podcast called the boss dad podcast. I was just on her podcast this morning and I was talking about the importance of being in your sweet spot and working out what your unique value is as a, as an individual human being, and then identifying the people that stand to benefit the most from working with you while you're in your sweet spot. That for me is the quickest way to carve out your corner of the room and own it. And to loop back to what you said before about passion, you better make sure you're passionate about it. Otherwise you run the risk of building a business that you hate. Yeah. I mean, I can, I always say this, you know, I've, I can, create rapid growth out of anything. But there is nothing worse than creating rapid growth in a business with customers you don't like working with in a business with staff and a team you don't want to help or be part of, mm. right? So you really got to get yourself out of that. But for a lot of people listening at home, I it's it's funny. I, I hear people talk about branding all the time and then they walk out and they're like, how does it practically work? So mm. if we've got time and you tell me, yeah, I, sure. want to give, I want to give an example for people just really to understand I want to throw people a curveball and most people won't see this coming about how we end up branding them because a lot of people, the problem is when they look at themselves, they don't realize the unique things that they do above and beyond that really help people. So what they do is they take for granted the things that come naturally, their unique skills, and they overly value the things that they spent a lot of time learning, which weren't as natural. So constantly their focus is wrong. Like, so I worked with this language coach. I mean, she taught kids and adults Mandarin out of California. And wow. she came to me, she had a massive problem. I mean, she was coaching people successfully for like a decade, for 50 to $80 an hour. And so were her team. And then all of a sudden, there were all these people moving into California. And they were willing to charge like 30 to $40 an hour to grow their business. Like a lot of people listening, maybe they're starting their business and they're giving people a discount. 
So she was struggling to keep her current clients to these people. And not only that, she was struggling to get new clients. But then, thanks to this new global economy we live in, there were people in China offering to do it for $12 an hour on Craigslist. And thanks to our friends in Silicon Valley, they created technology. I'll teach you Mandarin. You teach me English. We won't charge anyone anything. So she's competing against free. Now, a lot of the people you said, there were a lot of web designers. I mean, we know this world, right? Yeah. There's people in here, there's people in the Philippines, and everybody's yeah. wanting to do it for super cheap, and that's the focus. And we keep saying quality, but so do they, yeah. right? So we've got to look beyond that. And she, So Wendy came to me, and she's like, well, how do I compete in this crowded marketplace? And I said, well, there is no com- competition in that marketplace because it's just this long spiral to the bottom where the person that wins is the person that undercuts themselves more than they want to. I mean, that's not great. Mm. So what we did is we started to look at all the clients that she worked with. And, I mean, she worked with hundreds over the years. But what we found was there were two people specifically, and it really was only two. These were executives being relocated across to China. And she helped these people with more than just language. I mean, she helped them with this concept called Galaxy. Now, for a lot of people, I don't know what this is, but, I mean, that's if it's for us it means out of space. But for them, it's their word for rapport. Like if I was going to sit down and I was going to try and sell you something – you know, maybe in the Western world, a 45-minute meeting, and if I was a really bad salesperson, I'd say, so do you want to move forward? And you'd say, yes, no, or everyone's favorite, let me think about it, right? Mm. Now, if you said you want to think about it when I call you back in a week's time, I know my chances of getting that sale are going down and down. Well, in China, they're going to want to meet with you five or six times before they even discuss business. I mean, they're probably going to want to see you drunk over karaoke once or twice. It's just the people they are. But the reason for that is not talking about transactional 24, 12, you know, 12 month, 24 month deals. They're talking about 50 to 100 year deals. They're talking mm. about long term contracts. So it's more important. I mean, how much do we know about, you know, the contracts and what they would stand for 50 years from now? So it's not worth the paper it's written on a lot of the time. So it's about the character of the person. And that's yeah. what they want to get to know. So she taught them that. She taught them the difference between e-commerce in the West versus the East. And more importantly, the importance of respect, like learning Mandarin is not as important as reducing your accent because that's more respectable, respectful. Mm. Like when I spoke, I spoke in Thailand for Electrolux, the Asia Pacific summit, and there was a hundred vice presidents in the room. And every time I handed them my card, they'd hold it, they'd cherish it, they'd look at all the details on the front, flip it over, look at all the details on the back, and then, you know, bow slightly, put it in a card case, and then continue the conversation. Anything less than that's disrespectful. I'm like, when are you doing so much more for these people than just language tuition? What are you doing? Now, here's the key. She said, they're just a couple of things. You know, I'm just trying to help. I said, yeah, but as a result of this help, because these people were singing her praises, didn't care what she charged. I said, as a result of this help, is it fair to assume these people are going to be more successful when they get to China? And she's like, yeah, obviously. I mean, that's the point. I said, great. See, you need to understand you're stuck in your functional skill. What if we were going to call you instead the China success coach? And forget Mm. about teaching Mandarin. That's a commodity. I mean, sure, you can have somebody do it as part of the service, but let's focus on these skills. And we created the China success intensive. Now, Mm. here's the key. This was things she was doing anyway. She didn't have to become something she wasn't. She didn't have to have imposter syndrome. These were her skills. Mm -hmm. But then she's like, well, who do I sell it to? Right now we're starting to get into the world of niching from message and passion. So when we look at this, we then say, well, okay, well, who do we sell it to? I said, well, who do you think? And she said, well, obviously the executive. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I was terrified when I moved from Australia to the United States and people here speak the same language. Mm. I said, imagine what they're feeling, but it's not your ideal client. She said, well, obviously the company will pay. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, a lot of times the company's got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars riding on that executive being successful. 
but still not your ideal client. See, it's not always who we think it naturally should be. Frustrated, she looks at me and she's like, well, who then? I said, your ideal client's the immigration attorney. She's like, what? And I said, we think about it. The immigration attorneys have really interesting models. I mean, when I got my visa or when you go to China, generally they charge like five to $7,000 for any successful visa. And for that, they've got to do all the bureaucracy, all the paperwork, plus they've got to find a customer, which we all know doesn't come free. So because of that, they'd be lucky to make about $3,000. I said, just offer them $3,000 for a successful introduction. Hmm. They love this idea. They're like, this is a double my profit for an introduction. What do I have to say? I said, congratulations, you've got your visa. I just want to double check that you're as ready as possible to be relocated across to China. And they'd respond with, yeah, you know, I think we're good. You know, we've got our visa now. Thank you. Learning the language. Kids are getting pretty good at it too. We've got our place organized. I think we're set. And they just respond, there's actually a lot more to it than that. I think you need to speak to the China success coach. This is the part of sales. So we've gone through message, niching, now sales through a joint venture partner. When you get these introductions to the easiest sales in the world, I mean, these people were terrified to go. The company was motivated to pay. Their legal attorney had recommended them. She charged $30,000 for this program. So let's put this in perspective. She's now making $27,000 for the easiest sale in the world with the skill she already had mm. by finding a niche that she already had the skill set to service instead of struggling every day to sell language tuition for $50 to $80 an hour. That's the yeah. power of focusing on differentiation, niche marketing, and sales systemization. She had a starter with sales. Sure, I could have taught her some skills, and she probably would have made more money. She definitely would have made more money. But, God, she would have had to – make people she would have felt inauthentic because she knew people could get it for cheaper and she still would have been working harder so mm. that that's the difference it's looking at what it is what are the skills that you have outside the scope of your functional skill for wendy it was e-commerce respect and galaxy then saying what's the higher level benefit of that right for her that was china success for me i'm a business coach i'm a branding expert i'm a social media strategist gosh i'm so many things nobody cares they don't care how hard i worked on it to learn those things or how difficult it was for me to learn it. But when I say I'm the rapid growth guy, I work with predominantly service providers to help them obtain rapid growth in their business. The simplicity of that message, it gets me heard in the crowded marketplace. And that's 100%. what people are thinking. Yeah, awesome. This is like a podcast that's very quickly become a masterclass that we could charge lots of dollars for. Folks, if you're listening at home or, or on our one of our social platforms, I hope you're taking lots of notes. This has been awesome. Hey, I just want to switch gears a little bit because, I mean, I have been – and this – man, thank you so much. I have – I mean, this is – Part of what we teach uh, in our Mavericks Club Mastermind is the we, we call it the flight path. And so the flight path, I fly a lot, and every time I get on a plane, I'm fascinated with the literally the journey the plane takes from departure to destination. And so the flight path is the journey that you take your customers on from zero to hero, right, or from zero to destination happy place, as we call it. What are the steps that you take them through? It's exactly what you're talking about here is – is doing what you're already doing, just getting paid more for it because you've found a more valuable client who values it more than everyone else who's competing on on price and, and a race to the bottom and commodity. So we're definitely singing from the same same hymn book, and it's it's awesome to hear a slightly different take on this in different industries and know that it does apply. So I want to thank you for your generosity and the information that you've given us here. It's been truly transformational. One thing I want to talk about is the sheer amount of content that you produce. Uh, and the uh, and how hard you work and your productivity. I mean, you've written a book. Uh, you speak a lot all over the place. You've got online programs and, and coaching programs and online courses. Um, how big is your team and, and what is it that you spend most of your time doing? <laughs> so first thing, anyone that's kind of thinking about, you know, how hard I work, remember you should be doing the marketing stuff. 
That's your role and your job. And the IP has to come from you. So when we look at my book, if you look at my book, it says The Introvert's Edge by Matthew Pollard with Derek Lewis. I hired a ghostwriter. Why? I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in light high school and why I wrote all my blog posts myself. A blog post would take me a day, 1,500 words, and I'm, a, I'm because I don't enjoy doing it, it's a persuasive article. I yell at you for 1,500 words. Mm. No one wants to see that in a book, right? So I wanted it to be a journey where people could naturally learn the process of selling through more like a novel and feel comfortable and laugh out loud and enjoy themselves. So I worked with someone. So I found a partner. But the rule of thumb – and. I really want to be clear about this because when I do it, people hear you've been responsible for five multi-million dollar businesses. So anybody can just invest a couple of hundred thousand dollars into a business and then they can go out and make money doing it. But I can't because I've got no money. My rule of thumb is I start any business that I worked with and all of the ones before it with about $5,000. I call it a seeding fund and I start. So every single dollar I've spent on everything that I do, including all of the staff, comes from the money that I make out of this business, right? My sister controls my savings accounts and she builds, she built, she does property development in Australia actually with, with that stuff, right? So it's about making sure that you don't give yourself that barrier because I don't want limited mindset to get in the way of you achieving what you want. Now, here's the goal. When I first started, what I did is I wrote three really good blog posts And then I did a bunch of interviews like this, and I posted that I did those interviews as the others. Here's the thing that I learned. Most people will only read your first three blog posts. So those were the top ones, and then the others just filled it to make it look like I had 10. Then I wrote a couple of other blog posts on my website, and I launched. And then I went and spoke at an event, and I did what I call it. I I talk about this three-story format a lot, which is – You know, the Wendy story that I just shared with you is the number one story that I generally share in a keynote when I was doing it for free. Then there's a second story and a third story. At the end of that, I talk about a five-step template, which I get people, you know, basically it teaches them how to get a unified message and discover their niche. And I get them to give them me my card. I say, look, I don't sell anything from stage. But if you want me to give me your card, I will send it to you. I get their cards and and then I email. I mean, people here can get that template to do that at matthewpollard.com forward slash growth anyway. But what I do is I, I then did that and I spoke at an event and I got a bunch of business cards, which I gave them a 12-part nurturing campaign. And those people then booked phone calls with me. And those people then signed up. I got three clients from my first speaking event. Now I've made $10,000 at that stage which with what I was charging. And then I did it again. I did it again. I started to do podcasts and send those to the nurture. And, and then I hired my first person. The first person I hired was a, I decided that it wasn't going to be an offshore person. It was going to be an executive assistant inside um, the same city I was living in. So I hired a full-time EA. Its job was to make sure that my speaking events were tended to, that people could schedule calls with me to get back to certain things. And that person also had writing experience. So then I could do a mind dump of ideas on an audio, or I could start to, I would write something, but I wouldn't have to worry about grammar and spelling and listening to it. I would just write, and then they would clean it up. And that's how I started to post more and more and more. So the first thing I did was an executive assistant with writing experience and copywriting experience, right? So it was written in the same sort of style. And I tested that that person could borrow my voice. And that was really big. So that was the first thing I did. And that was my first hire. Then what I did is I went out and leveraged. And that that was was fine for the first, you know, almost year and a half. 
Then what I did is I said, well, we want to write the book. So I went out looking for a ghostwriter and I hired a ghostwriter to, to help work with my book. I decided I wanted to create an online academy. I went and worked with a consultant that you had done that before. I hired a video team, an editor, and I, I got all of that done. But what I, would, what I always try and help people understand is imagine their business as three different things. One is, here's the money I need to live. And I'm not talking about living on champagne and caviar, but not living on bread and gruel either. The second bucket of money is, what do I need to pay my fixed expenses, my team, my subscription stuff, that sort of thing? And what do I need to pay for my capital expenditures, right? So for me, anything I got paid to speak went towards capital expenditures. So it paid for the book getting written. It paid for my online academy to be developed. Anything that I got paid through my online um, academy, sorry, anything I got paid through coaching got split 50-50 towards building the academy and towards my living expenses. Then once I built the academy and I launched it, you know, it, it grew really quickly. And because of that, now the entire fixed expenses of my business, subscription revenue and all of my staff are paid by the academy. Speaking still pays for the capital expenditure and coaching's mine which is why I pick and choose my clients because I'm like, you know what? That doesn't sound like it's going to be a fun project to me. I'm not going to work with them one-on-one -on -one, and I only coach a certain number of people per month because that's my choice because that's the amount that I need to live on. So, but, so it's a stepping stone process is what I want people to understand. But my entire team is every time, and I'm about to write a second book coming up, that, you know, it's an external ghostwriter. So my core team is one person that handles all my flights, accommodation, and travel, and organizers to make sure my books are always on site and all that sort of stuff, and the marketing around my events, right? That's a full-time job, mm -hmm. right? But it's, it's, it's not a high-level job, but it's a full-time job. Mm -hmm. I've got a second person that's my full-time EA, make sure that everything's scheduled, and then I've got a full-time person that does my writing, right? So three core people. Then I've got contractors that I pretty much use about 50% of their time. One's a full-time designer, a graphic designer, and one's a full-time video editor. And then the project people that I work with is like camera studios or ghostwriters, or if I need to, like my full website development came from capital expenditure. And, but that was a team that I worked with, a, with, a, with a fixed cost and a deliverable. Mm. So as long as you break it up that way and compartmentalize it, your emotions don't get in the way. You don't make bad decisions because the business supports the growth. Got it. Uh, your website's fantastic, by the way. The graphics are amazing. The branding is fantastic. The messaging is great. I was I was stalking you before uh, uh, in the in the coming in the weeks coming up to this podcast, and I have taken a lot of inspiration for what you're doing. And I love the fact that the different parts of your websites are actually look like individual brands. It, it's not a menu as such. There are actual d different brands and different experiences that you can engage with. Um, I just sort of went to your website to check it out and found myself spending a lot of time there and really enjoying the experience. So congratulations there. Yeah, I had a lot of fights with people on whether that was actually possible, by the way, because everybody wanted me to have four separate websites. And I'm like, for SEO, that's a nightmare. I see people with book websites and speaking websites. And I'm like, no, it's all going to be one website. And if you type in things like theintrovertsedge.com, it takes you to matthewpollard.com forward slash the introvert's edge where you get the first chapter of my book, but it, it looks like a separate experience. And so it can be done and it, I think it should be done more often. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's working. I love it. Um, hey, this has been awesome. And and man, I, at some point, I'm probably going to reach out and ask you to come back for a masterclass because I know there's just so much here we can unpack. Uh, for those people listening who want to learn more about what you do and, and how they work, where's, where's the best place they can go to get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, you can always go to matthewpollard.com and that's the primary place most people will find me. I mean, if you go and check me out on social, I, I share 
I mean, we've got over a thousand videos we share on social media at the moment. They're all scheduled and set up to go. So there's a lot of free content that I give out. But for the people that are listening, there are a couple of things that I would suggest. The first one is we were talking about goals and setting the why statements. I've got a podcast called The Better Business Coach. And the episode that I'd suggest you go to is episode 17. It's called Forget About Goals, Why is the Key to Success? Mm -hmm. So I would start there because for me, it's about you getting to an outcome, not about you just finding me. So start there. Then once you've done that, then I would go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth and download the five-step worksheet to work out your unified message and discover your niche of willing to buy clients. Once you have that, then I would go to the introvertsedge.com and download the first chapter of my book. I know a lot of authors fill their first chapter full of fluff, but mine literally focuses on the full seven steps of the process. And if you do nothing more than write down what you currently say and fit it into those seven steps, and if it doesn't fit, stop saying it to customers. So don't try and figure out how it fits. And then you'll realize there's a couple of gaps like storytelling and asking great questions. Fill those gaps. And then, I mean, if you just did that alone, you'd double your sales in the next 60 days. But if you do it in that specific order, you will have a profoundly rapid growth experience in your business. Awesome. Truly epic. We're going to put all the links and all the resources that you've mentioned in the show notes here at wpelevation.com slash Matthew Pollard. Uh, thank you so much, my friend, for being on the show. This has been truly unbelievably valuable and I really appreciate your generosity and uh, I'll look forward next time I'm out in the States. Hopefully we can cross paths and, uh, and have a Foster's. <laughs> Sounds good, mate. Well, I'll be out speaking in uh, Australia in February and I'll be in Melbourne, so maybe I can beat you closer. Awesome. That'd be fantastic. Thanks, mate. Keep in touch. Cheers, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast as much as I did. Please subscribe at wpelevation.com slash iTunes and leave us a rating and a review because it really does help us come up in the search results and get this podcast in front of a wider audience so that we can help them. Uh, like us on Facebook and leave a comment and share it with your friends and also subscribe on YouTube at wpelevation.com slash YouTube where we post the recordings of these podcasts. We generally live stream these podcasts directly out onto our Facebook page at wpelevation.com slash Facebook. So if you go over there and like us on Facebook, you'll see when we live stream these and you can actually see the recording of these episodes as they happen, which is generally, you know, quite a few weeks before we publish the audio episode of the podcast. And of course, we also live stream Silence is Golden, our weekly show uh, with myself and my co-host Simon Kelly every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock Sydney time. You can also find that on our Facebook page. I hope you're enjoying all of the content we're putting out as much as we are enjoying making it for you. I look forward to your company again soon on one of our live shows or the podcast. Until then, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate. Go Elevate.